Good morning again. Good to see everybody. Good to see uh, first time, first time back, folks. Always a, a pleasure to uh, to to know that that I knew that you were out there, but good to see you in here. And those of you who are still out there, you know, love to see you too. Um, yeah, this is good. This is good. So um, we're, we're thinking about notion of uh, the f- future, and as humans, we have this desire to just predict, to want to predict the future. We want to know. And we see different expressions of people in our world who predict the future. Certainly people who are investors and do market analysis, they love to predict the future. If you can't predict the future, then you can manipulate the future. uh, And you buy uh, meme stocks, GameStop. And I met somebody who just bought a bunch of AMC stock and was very fascinated about how both predicting the future and trying to manipulate it with other people. And uh, it's really kind of funny stuff. Um, Sports betting. People think they can predict the outcomes of sporting events, and they put a lot of money down on that type of thing. So our Americans, I found out, Americans spend about $4 billion every month on sports betting. And that's gone up tremendously over the past a couple of years, the daily fantasy sports and that kind of thing has really taken off. It's a huge, it's a massive industry. Um, on a personal level, people want to predict or want help predicting their own future. Um, things like fortune tellers and card readers and, and that sort of thing. Still, people still go chase these things to want to know what their future holds. Pastors are not immune from this. We would love to, I, I, just the other day, I was online, you know, with a group of other pastors, and how is attendance trending post-COVID, and what do you predict in the church in America or in New England, and um, with attendance and giving and these kind of things, because you want to know the future. Then, of course, there's the return of Jesus. When is Jesus going to return, and when is going to be the end of the age? And there is so much speculation about these things. Jesus' disciples, they wanted to know how the future was going to go down. They saw Jesus, they recognized him as the Messiah, they knew that he was going to usher in a whole new age, a messianic age of, of peace, where the kingdom would be known in its fullness. And, and Jesus had told them about his kingdom. And now Jesus is going to tell them what it's going to look like. When is it going to happen? And here Jesus, he predicts that the temple in Jerusalem will be destroyed. And Jesus talks about his second coming. Now, is this just a weird thing that Christians believe? You know, that Jesus is coming back? Um, Or just some Christians, you know, there's Christians who follow Jesus and live sort of a Christian way. And then there's those Christians who really think about this, you know, Jesus is going to be coming back to this planet and things are going to change. The notion of Jesus returning was prominent in his own teaching and throughout the rest of the New Testament writings. This is a common theme. This is not some fringe idea that some Christians kind of latch on to. It's important for all of us. The problem is that the parts of the Bible that are more prophetic, that speak about the future, use a lot of prophetic language and imagery and can be difficult to interpret. So people go two ways. They either 
obsess over it. Like they're the one. You're going to be the one who cracks the code in the Bible and you can predict. Jesus told us what was going to happen and you see it and you watch the news and you watch YouTube videos and you know it's coming. You know when. And there's others who say, yeah, I'm not a code breaker. I'm just going to ignore it and live my life. My hope for us is that we fall somewhere, uh, not on the ends of that, but to really listen to what Jesus said and learn what he wants us to learn here. He wants his disciples, both when he said these words then, to us today, to live a certain way in light of the future, in light of these future events which will be spectacular and uh, changing the the course of, of all human history. He wants us to live with a certain posture that recognize our times, the time in which we live, to see the signs of the future. And in light of that, to be vigilant. In light of that, to have hope. Um, and so I can live this way now in light of those things. And so we're actually going to spend a few weeks on this. We're still continuing through the Gospel of Matthew, but we're going to conclude our study with this it's sometimes called the Olivet Discourse. It's, a, it's teaching that Jesus did on the Mount of Olives. And so he's, he's talking more about the future, and we're going to focus on that. Um, and the hope for us is that we would be people who recognize our times, that we can live vigilant, and we can live full of hope. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you even for the parts of it that are difficult, to understand, to comprehend. Um, Some of it seems just sensational or distant from where we are right now as we sit here. Because we sit here with everything we've experienced this week. We sit here with uh, the things that bring us joy and hope and things that also weigh very heavy on us. But we believe, Lord, that you are guiding us to good places and that you've been with us every step of the way. And when we walk out of here, that you're walking every step with us, leading us, guiding us as our good shepherd, Lord. So may this time, as we focus on your word, be one more time where you are guiding, where your voice is known, where your word is understood, Lord. We thank you for it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here's Jesus with his disciples They're near Jerusalem. They're looking at the city. They see the temple. They're commenting on the buildings. And Jesus said, oh yeah, that you're looking at, not one of those stones is going to be standing on top of another. It's all going to be destroyed. And in verse 3, his disciples asked, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? You foolish disciples! They asked Jesus two questions at the same time. And I'm angry. Ask one question at a time. And it, because G, they asked two questions at the same time. When is this temple going to be destroyed? And when is the end of the age? And he answers both of the questions at the same time. And I don't know if you're talking about the temple or the end of the age. Because he keeps going back and forth between these two topics that they've asked him, foolish disciples. Now, in their defense, they probably believed that was one and the same kind of thing that the temple would be destroyed and there'd be some kind of new temple or new kingdom and it would all happen at once. But it didn't. That temple was destroyed in their lifetime, in, in, within you know, 40 years of this, 
In 70 AD, that temple in most of Jerusalem is completely destroyed. Uh, and yet the, the fullness of the kingdom hasn't happened yet. And it, this is all very confusing because in verse 34, Jesus said, these things will happen in your generation, in your lifetime. And so it's confusing that Jesus talks about the two events together. Think of it like this, though. If you look out, if you climb a mountain and you look out over the mountains and you're at the summit and you can see, you could trace the, the skyline of the, the mountain ridge. And it's one line in your eyes. But you know that you're actually looking at mountains that are displaced by tens and hundreds of miles from one another. You know, in a bright day, you see the the darker ones, and they get lighter blue as they go back. But around sunset, or if it's foggy, you just kind of see one line. It's all in view at once, but it's you know that there's displacement. Jesus is doing that. He sees an event that's going to happen in the lifetime of the people listening to him, and he sees events that are going to happen way in the future, but he's seeing it all in one frame, and he's describing that frame to them. And that becomes confusing to us. And we say, Jesus, why wouldn't you be clearer to us? It would be uh, kinder to us and to the small groups that are going to meet this week and discuss this text. My group will meet on uh, Tuesday at noon, and we'll try to figure this out together. Um, I would say that Jesus didn't need to be clearer here because you don't have to untangle every little phrase that he says here to understand what he's teaching. Because there's specific lessons he wants his immediate in that day, hearers to understand, and there's lessons he wants us to understand, and there's going to be things that they're going to experience as in the next years as it leads up to the destruction of Jerusalem, and those same things that are going to be the warning signs are really things that Christians experience throughout history and that we will experience as we await for Christ to return. So this is relevant for them and for us And so there's all this overlap, which is okay for us. But he wants them to understand the signs. And he describes it like birth pains. Verse 8, all these are the beginning of birth pains. It means there's these things that are rumbling and feelings and discomfort. But it means that something big is going to happen and watch out. So primarily, these verses this week are describing the destruction of this section at least, is describing the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem being destroyed. Um, But we have overlapping imagery here. So what are the signs? Let's look at a few of the signs that are described here. Uh, Let's look at four. One is deception and being led astray. Verse 4 and 5. Jesus answers them, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. And he goes on to describe these false messiahs, these false Christs, false promises, false prophets. And he, he's warning them. He said, in, in difficult times, people will cling to false promises. And they'll cling to people other than Jesus. Other, he would say, other than me. There's going to be others. And this is absolutely true. And we've seen this. I think in the last... Last year or so, when, when our world is chaotic and things are changing and shutting down, that everything became so intense and politicized, and people were clinging to political ideas and leaders and anything out there, any kind of promise of, of somebody knowing really what's going on and having the solution, and, and on all sides of the aisles, and, and people just grasping at these things, and um, 
the rise in the amount of conspiracy theories and wild ideas that people were clinging to firmly because the world is unsteady. And Jesus said, look, the world's going to be unsteady. Don't cling to those things. You're going to cling to my words. You're going to cling to my teaching. You want to know me, know my voice. Later in this passage, he said, my word will never pass away. We need to know the voice of Christ. We need to know his word. We need to be people of prayer, not panicking, trying to grasp onto all the ideas around us. And regardless of how chaotic that things get, because there'll be deception in our world. The, the second birth pain here is about disasters. Again, more you know, birth pain, more signs of, of the end. Uh, natural disasters, human disasters. Verse 6, you will hear wars and rumors of wars. See to it you're not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is going to come. There's going to be wars in the world. And particularly around the time of the destruction of Jerusalem, there was all kinds of uh, military and battle and revolting and all these things that led to this destruction. But wars didn't end then. This is something that's been part of the history of the world since Christ. And before, really. And you know, every time there's uh, conflicts, particularly in the Middle East, you know, recently there's the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, you know, really flared up in dangerous ways. And people call me on the phone. They say, Pastor, is this it? This is the one. This is the end of time. The Christ is coming. Do you think he's coming? I say, yes, I think he's coming. Um, but he also said, don't be alarmed that these wars need to happen. So don't freak out. And we pray for peace in our world. And we pray for the end of wars. Absolutely. But we know that the reality of the world we live in, until Christ returns, we're going to see these things. And it reminds us that he promised us it would happen before he returns. Natural disasters as well. Verse 7. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. You know, and every time we see a natural disaster, and terrible you know, the big ones, famine, pandemic, earthquake, wildfires. It reminds us of how powerless we are in a world that is broken. And it reminds us that the whole world, the whole created world is groaning, awaiting Jesus to return. Because otherwise, we would get lulled into some kind of complacency. Now, we love living in New England, and the weather is great here. And we don't have a lot of, we don't live in a real disastrous kind of a place. We don't get a lot of big hurricanes like they do in the tropics. Um, we don't have, very rare to have a tornado. Um, not really volcanoes in the Merrimack Valley. Not so much wildfires. And we have good soil. So we can, we can plant. It's rocky. But that means it stays in place. So we can plant and grow food. So we have, we don't, experience a lot of famine where we live. We live in a fairly safe environment, but we always remember, especially as we think about big climactic changes and, and ways that weather patterns and uh, the, the, how chaotic the world is just on a very natural, without wars, without people messing it up, that the world can be very unstable. And it reminds us that this world is not in some kind of perfect balance. And again, disease and death and these things that we experience. We remember we want Christ to return. These things 
are going to continue to happen. A third one described here is persecution. In verse 9, Jesus says, you'll be handed over to be persecuted, put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from faith and will betray and hate each other. There's a sense that when the going gets tough, people will fall away. But the promise, verse 13, the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And we ask ourselves, is my faith really strong enough to withstand persecution? It's easy to praise God on the mountaintop, but what about in the dark valley? What about when my prayers don't seem to be getting answered? What if uh, people are coming against me or I face some, whatever adversity I face from other people or from just life itself? Can my faith stand that? And it's because it's in the mystery of God's goodness that he allows us to face persecution. He told his followers, you're going to face these things. God is allowing this to happen. Jesus never promised his followers comfort and ease. And your faith will be tested through those difficult things. See, can I trust God that he's accomplishing a greater purpose even though I may not even be able to see it right now, and that I hurt, and that I'm struggling. That's for all of us. That's for them in their day. That's for us in our day. But the fourth birth pain, the fourth sign of the times, we see in verse 14, is the advance of the good news. It says, In this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That we have a job to do in the midst of all these things that are going on around us, that we are people who bring good news into this chaotic world where there's persecution and wars and there's disasters and all these things. It's a good news of God's peace in the midst of it all. That God is still good. And God has called us to bring this good news of Jesus, what he's accomplished, to our world. And then at a certain point, the fullness of the harvest will be brought in, and then Christ will return. And those are some of the signs of the time. Those are the birth pains. And then the end will come. What end, though? Because they asked him, remember they asked him, he said the end will come. He was talking about the end of the temple, and he's talking about the end of time, because they asked him the two questions at once. So, sure enough, it happened. That temple was destroyed in 70 AD by Rome. Um, verses 15 through 28, which were not read to you just for the sake of the scope of this message. I encourage you to read those verses, but pretty intense description of those days. It was a truly terrible time. Jerusalem was a walled city. It was full of religious fanatics who were willing to die for their faith. And when the attack came, people ran into the city, into this very safe, secure, walled city. But then they end up getting through this, all the ups and downs, but the, a four-year siege, they get trapped in the city, and there's no food. And there's people dying, and there's no place to put the dead bodies. And it was, they had to turn to eating trash, and they were turning to cannibalism. And the historians of the day have written about these things. It's one of the worst moments in human history. And every single person either died or was sold into slavery. And the, whole, the walls of the city and the temple itself were completely destroyed. 
Why is that important? Well, it's important that this happens right away. So Jesus said, this is going to happen in your lifetime. And sure enough, it happened in their lifetime that the temple was destroyed. Because it's a reminder that in Jesus' kingdom, that it's no longer about this temple. The temple was where God's people went to worship. So the temple's no longer the place of God's dwelling. It's no longer the place where there's sacrifice. There's no longer forgiveness found at that temple. That's not where you go to learn about God. That's not where you go to hear God's voice. This is all now found in Jesus. It's Jesus is where God's presence is known. The Spirit of Christ with his people, the Holy Spirit. That the sacrifice of Jesus is the only sacrifice that matters. Forgiveness is found in Jesus. It's through Jesus that we hear God's voice. The temple is out. Jesus is in. And Jesus predicted a historic event. And it happened quickly. To remind us that he was right. And that he is fulfilling the things he promised. Now, all kinds of debate. Well, of course, Jesus' followers wrote that because they wrote these things after the destruction of the temple. So they just date these writings later because, of course, Jesus couldn't have known. You can't predict the future, so they just kind of put a later date on it. But we believe, actually, these were written before this happened, that Jesus actually said these words, he predicted these things, and they came true. So the end of the temple definitely happened. And then, but also in view here is Jesus returning. Look at verses 29 and 30. Let's just verse 30 here. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and all the peoples of earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So there will be this return of Christ, but it's not universally a good, joyful thing. People are mourning because some people will not be ready. But God's people will be saved. Verse 31, he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. They will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. God will save his people, so we trust him. And that's, so here's your birth pains, and then there's the end of the temple, and then there's the end of time. Jesus has answered the question. So, so what? Right? I mean, we weren't around at the destruction of the temple. Um, that Jesus is going to, that there's going to be these spectacular things that happen in Christ's return. We actually have to leave here today and go about our day. You might run errands, you might just sit out in the yard or go to the beach or whatever you're going to do. We've got to actually live today. So is this actually important? Verse 32 Jesus says, Learn this lesson from a fig tree. As soon as the twigs get tender, its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. He said, look, it's so obvious. When these things are happening, you need to live a certain way because you know that it's true and you know that it's coming. Therefore, let me just, three things real quick. Because Jesus predicted these things, and because he said, watch out for these signs, these things are observable. These things are happening in our world. So you can live steady in an unsteady world. You can live a life that is good and loving in a, and is light in a dark world. Romans 13 puts it like this. 
it's talking about loving your neighbor. It says, love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. I like that. When is Jesus coming back? He's coming back a day sooner than yesterday. We're one day closer. You're closer now than when you first believed what he said. He said, so you can love people and live alert and, and live your life steady, even no matter how chaotic the climate gets, no matter how cha- the, the, the environment gets, how chaotic these wars are, you're going to live your life on, the, on your front lines, wherever God's, God puts you to love people, because it's closer and closer every day. So we live steady. Second, we have hope. Remember, we're going through the birth pains, or Romans describes it as all of creation just groaning and awaiting this redemption from the Lord. And without that kind of a hope, you could easily become discouraged by the frustrations of life. You'd experience a loss, a death, a setback, an illness. You'll experience something, and you could just lose hope if you feel like this is the world is just the way it is. But if we believe that there's hope for all eternity, and that there'll be a goodness in a kingdom of peace that's brought in, we can have great hope. So we can live steady, we can have great hope, and we can live with urgency, and we can be prepared. And I want to talk about that next week. So come back, because Jesus gives some really good teaching about that. But to always be ready, and to not waver. And people just say, I'll deal with the Jesus question or the faith question later. And people put it off, they push it off. And they either become very sick or very old before they really say, oh, I should probably get serious about this. But we should all feel pushed to say, no more excuses. Oh, I've been meaning to get back to church. I've been meaning to get back into a group. I've been meaning to grow in my faith. To just do it. We don't know how many days we have. All we see, all the signs out there in the world. Are we there? I get the phone call. Are we there? Is it today? Urgency. Live with urgency. So I'll pick up my phone this week. Pastor, I listened to your sermon. Is this it? Are we in it? (laughs) Yes, because we're seeing the signs. And you say, yeah, but you know, these things have been going on throughout history. I mean, are we, Pastor, are we really close? Tell me. Yes. Is it going to be in our lifetime? I don't know. I don't know. But Jesus wants you to feel that urgency. Live steady, hope for a better tomorrow, and just, just don't put it off. We can stand firm. Let us pray. God, we thank you that we can trust you in this. Um, we thank you that we, do, we are people who live with a hope of a greater eternity, a greater forever in a world that is, is made completely right. And in the meantime, you've given us a job to do, that we're going to leave this place and we're going to go love excellently. And we're going to leave this place and we're going to continue to seek your voice because we believe that even in a chaotic world, you're unfolding good things that for your purpose, Lord, that need to happen. And so we pray that we would be a steady people. Pray that we'd be a hopeful people. I pray that we would live with the urgency that you call us to. In Jesus' name, amen.